Good afternoon, everybody. This is Debbie Q with The Right Show, and I don't know what is going on. I am having massive technical difficulties. My microphone wasn't working, and I still don't have any idea. Now it sounds like I'm, like, booming. I don't know what's going on. Hello? I feel, oh, my God, this is really freaking me out. I don't know what's wrong with this microphone. I I hope you can hear me. If not, I'm really going to be late. This is going to be out a little late because I have been running around like a Looney Tune. I think I do have thalassophobia. I am very nervous. There was these, I'm sorry, I am all over the place. So just bear with me right now. I was watching these scary TikToks and I'll tell you what, the one was so scary. I could barely, I couldn't even look at it. And it was dark water. Now I'm not trying to be Natalie Wood or whatever, but I really am freaked out by dark water, like big time freaked out. I don't know what it is. So somebody, I wrote that. I said, I'm really afraid of dark water. The person said, you have thalassophobia, <laughs> which I probably do. That's, I don't know. I like the girl was, go- the person, the reason I got freaked out is because this person was going into the the dark water. Like they were, oh, I was so freaked out. They were going into the dark water. It was just really, really weird. Very nerve-wracking. So this is The Right Shoe. The Right Shoe is a podcast about all things strange and unusual, especially in reference to a death. And a death is what we're going to... Two deaths. It's a case that, I'm telling you, has haunted me. There's two cases to me always stick in my mind as being really weird. One is the Maura Murray case, just because of the details to it. Although not as much as this one, this one right now, I just can't think of any. Well, Cindy James is a weird one. In the Ellen Greenberg case, Cindy James was found. She had been tortured for years. I I really honestly think that she did a lot of her own torturing. The night of her death, I can't, I, I have to go over that case at some point. And the Ellen Greenberg case, Ellen Greenberg was a Philadelphia girl and she was found stabbed by her own hand and she had done it many, many times and she, it's just so rare for someone to stab themselves. But that case, I know it was suicide. I know for a fact it was suicide. Okay. Just trust me on that. There's reasons that I can't even say that I know it was suicide, but we'll go, let's get on to this case. This next case is so freaky and I, I don't, I don't like wasting a lot of time in the beginning. It's the Lizanne Froon, Chris Kramer's case. Now, everybody in true crime knows this case, it, and it's been done ad nauseum, but there's always something else you can bring to the table with it. I have listened to so many podcasts about, the, about this particular case because it's really disturbing, and because there's so much information out there, like, There's information overload about this case. I'm going to go through the case and I'm going to give the general description. If you wanted to do more research, I would suggest that you look into it because I can't go. There's some details like there's so much information that fact and fiction has very much bled together. But I want to go over the case and then go over what I think if there's like two or three things that bother me so much, I, one is to, it's a very odd case, but I'm going to discuss it now. Also, I want to say, give a shout out. I On Instagram, there was this really nice group of people that came together, podcasters, and it's nice to talk and listen to people and, and hear other podcasters like worries or triumphs. You know, I it's it's I'm so glad somebody put my name in there. I'm really glad because I enjoy the the thread immensely. In the meantime, the business of The Right Shoe, if you want to get in touch with me, there's always Debbie Q at therightshoepodcast.com. Instagram is the easiest, best way. My Instagram page is therightshoepodcast underscore underscore. And I wanted to play a promo from one of my new friends, I really suggest giving his podcast a try. It's called Concert That Made Us. And here's from Brian. Wait, so you like concerts, podcasts, and music? 
and you don't listen to concerts that made his podcast, oh man, you're missing out. You've got to head over there straight away. They have interviews with the best up-and-coming bands, as well as some famous ones thrown in the mix too. And don't even get me started on the concert stories. Oh man, are they wild. That's Concerts That Made Us podcast. New episodes every Thursday on all podcast players. That is so cool. Thursday. So check it out on Thursdays. I love that accent. So that's about concerts, which is awesome because I am so true crime. It's nice to hear something different for a change. So head on over to Brian and his concerts that made us. And you know there's a lot of concerts that made you in your lifetime. Mine was Duran Duran and Prince. It was my first. I went to Sean Anna when I was little, but my first two concerts I remember are Duran Duran and Prince. That's a concert that made me. Okay, so this case is insane. It's the Chris Kremers Lizanne Froon case. Lizanne Froon was born the 24th of December, 1991. She was aspiring, optimistic, intelligent, and a passionate volleyball player. She did have a, a boyfriend at the time of her disappearance. God, these girls. It's amazing. When I posted the pictures of Lizanne and Chris, like, I don't even think the one guy knew who they were, but he wrote to me, beautiful girls. And and they are. They're beautiful girls. Like, they're very, very pretty. They just look so happy and bubbly. And and the pictures have become so world famous. On to Chris. She was open, creative, responsible. Um, I mean, that's such, you know, cookie cutter ways to describe them. But you know, you really don't truly know somebody. You have to, you can only go by what you're reading. But the pictures of these girls, please look up the Lizanne Froon and Chris Kremers. Look up the pictures because all the pictures that they took during their vacation, you can just tell they are open and, you know, optimistic and intelligent. You can see it coming through the pictures. Like they are very vibrant girls and they look so excited and like they're really having fun. And just looking at the pictures, I I always gather that Chris was like the more aggressive, crazy one. I don't, I could be totally wrong. That's just what I gather from the pictures. Why Lizanne was the more like, you know, let's take it light. Let's, you know, do it this way or that way. And When I think about what happened to them, it really is aggravating. It's just so upsetting. Um, So Chris, okay, Chris Kramers was born August 9th, 1992 in the Netherlands. And Lizanne Froome was also born in the Netherlands, September 24th, 1991. In 2014, Lizanne was 22 and Chris was 21. And they wanted to go, they went to Panama, where they would disappear April 1st, 2014. And no, it wasn't an April Fool's joke. The circumstances that led up to this, everything about this case, it's just like a mystery. I mean, it is everything they even did was a mystery. And they were, you know, this harks me back to... There's a case of two Swedish girls that were in California and they they were murdered because they were hitchhiking and people told them do not hitchhike, you know, it's very dangerous and this was way back. I think it was I think it was the 70s, I'm not sure. They said like the investigators were like when we talked to people, the truck drivers and and people that had met them beforehand, they said there was this openness and this naivete about America and how brutal it can be. I mean, they weren't in North America, they were in Central America, but I still get the impression that there was a bit of a naivete about them. I hope it's naivete, is that how you pronounce it? I, I Because, you know, there's, because uh, just certain things happen and I'm like, why did they do that? What, did somebody talk them into that? You know, so I'll have to go through the background first. Now, they both girls came over because they they came from the Netherlands and they met during they there was a group of individuals that wanted to get together and volunteer to work with children and they literally came to Panama to volunteer to teach these little children but the problem was now they wanted to learn Spanish while they were there and I guess integrate themselves in another different world it was exciting to them but the problem was when they came over here 
when they came to Boguette, Panama, with the intentions of teaching these children and starting right away and learning, they wanted to learn Spanish. They wanted to become fluent. That's what it sounded like. But what happened is there was a, a problem. Whoever was running this volunteer program, they, you, they couldn't do it. They couldn't start for a week because they needed people fluent in Spanish. So that sounds to me like already there's a severe lack of communication. And they both had diaries, I believe Chris's. I'm almost positive. But they both had diaries, but I, Chris's is the one that gets more attention. And it showed like how she was really frustrated. They both were frustrated, but she had written about it, you know, like they had to wait a week now and they were a little ticked off and they were going to go sightseeing and hiking. They had a tour guide set up for the 2nd of April, but that very same, it was called the Il Pianista Trail, that same tour that they were going to take on the 2nd they t they went instead on the first and they were shown like talking to other people that the night before did somebody talk them into it or did the tour guide talk them into it this tour guide um i i don't even feliciano was going to assist them on this trail april 2nd but they went the first now is i heard and i don't know if this is true, but I heard that Feliciano was kind of like an aggressive guy. He wasn't, he didn't, there was a people that had women who had complained about him, that he was almost like sexually aggressive to them, almost harassing. That's what I heard. But again, that's why I almost don't like to go into too much because I read so much and I, and the, I really want to stick to the facts and then get to like, the heck could have happened. So whether that's true about the tour guide, I don't know, but that brings about an issue when you get to their disappearance. But why they went the day early when they were supposed to go with Feliciano on the 2nd of April, I don't know why they went on the 1st instead to this Il Pianista tour, uh, the Il Pianista trail. But also the problem is, is it wasn't like a trail. They said like people walked cattle across it. Like it wasn't this difficult trail. If you varied away from the trail and they called it Il Pianista because it was the piano, literally, that's what it translates to. The way it looked, it, it was like keys up and down a piano. That's what one of the guys said. I actually watched this video of a guy he was good, but he really didn't say so much about them. He was more complaining about the uh, investigators. But he was saying how, why the Il Pianista tour, um, I keep saying that, Il Pianista land was named that. And he said it because it looked like piano keys. So here comes Chris and Lizanne, two lovely girls, and they were staying with somebody. There was people that own a restaurant called Il Pianista, and they had a dog named Azor otherwise blue, and they were going to bring him with them on the trail. So here they go happily on April 1st, 2014. You know, the reason they had went on this is because, and they had planned for this for like six months and saved up their money for this because they were, it was like kind of a celebration because Lizanne had just graduated. I mean, I really believe these girls had, they were really going to do a lot for this world and, and it and it, this is a shame what happens. So they go to Baguette. They're with the local family. And they decided to go to the Il Pianista Trail. They took with them a dog named Azor from the owners of an Il Pianista restaurant. But people complained that they didn't see the dog in these pictures. In fact, the only picture I seen of this dog was actually being petted by a guy. So... I didn't see any pictures and everyone complained about that. And every single video or anything I watched about these girls, people said, where the heck was this dog? So let me get to this. Okay, so I don't know whether the dog was with them or not truly. I don't know. 
Oh, the lunch at the Alpini says somebody said they sat with two young Dutch men before embarking on the trail. They didn't have much with them, but they had their cell phones. They had one bottle of water and they had like, I don't know, somebody was really irritated that they had two bras with them. I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's true. I, I can't, I don't know. I don't usually bring two bras with me when I go hiking, but I don't hike all that much. Maybe you get sweaty. I don't know. Somebody was really pissed off when I was discussing this with homicide as usual. I know I always say that, but it's the truth because I always want their input because even though people complain about investigators lately, they really do know what they're doing. <laughs> even if, I don't know, everything's so fucked up right now, especially with that. Oh, I can't even think about that. There has been some... Uh, I, I don't want to get into that. It's too upsetting to me. But Right now, homicide investigators were pissed off because they brought two bras with them. Okay, let's move on. Later that day, Blue Azure comes back without the girls. I don't want to keep saying somebody said this, somebody said that. But there was a lot of suggestions that were made as I was trying to formulate what the hell could have happened to these girls. Because I was thinking they didn't tell the parents for two days that they were missing. I don't think they told anyone that they were missing for at least a day, at minimum a day. And I was like, wow, why did they wait that long? But then somebody brought up a good point. There are adult women that are coming to visit you. It's not like they're kids coming to see, like, it's not like when a family member had did this. Uh, she went to England and we got an English student, a student exchange program. And he stayed with my family for, oh, you know, about two months. Now that's different because that's a kid in your care going to high school. Now this is different because these are two adult women. They're not kids anymore. So it is true. It is weird when you think about it because you're like, well, why didn't they call earlier when they were missing? They're adult women. I mean, if they want to go out and party and not, they didn't have to do anything for a week. So I, I, that did make sense to me, although it is disturbing. But it, it <laughs> that's what makes it hard with missing people because nine times out of 10, they are going to come back. But it's that one time that makes people crazy. You know, so, okay, I want to stick to the, the facts, the bare minimum facts of this, because otherwise, I'm telling you, I could go on for 10 hours about this case. They did stop receiving text messages, the family members, and they were sending them daily. The local guide, Feliciano, he actually called on the second to tell them that they missed the appointment, which he was going to take them to this very same trail. But he was the one that kind of alerted them hey, something's wrong. They missed their appointment. Their parents knew by the next day, uh, April 2nd, I think that later that day they called the parents. April 6th, the parents arrived in Panama with the police, dog units, and detectives to conduct a full-scale search that would last for 10 days. They were offering a reward, and I remember this, dead or alive, for any information about these two women. And they at first, there was absolutely nothing. This is where it gets weird. Ten weeks later, on June 14th, a local woman finds Lizanne's backpack. She said she found it near a riverbank in the village of Alto Romero. The backpack contained sunglasses, about $80 in cash, U.S., Froon's passport, a water bottle, a camera, and like, I'm talking one of those, I think it was a Nikon camera, but it was definitely one of those digital cameras that they were real popular in the, in the 2000s, like in the early 2000s, because they were cool. Like I was thinking of the old school cameras, like with the damn lights on the top. But here it was like those cameras where you could, where when you pointed it, you would get the picture of the image, like what, what you were pointing at you would see on the screen in front of you. You wouldn't get that picture like printed, you know, but, oh, but you would take the picture. Say you took 50 pictures. Each picture you could see, you could keep going back to. So it was kind of like a phone of today because initially I didn't realize that it was that kind of camera. They've probably been upgraded a thousand times. You would get a clear image of whatever you were taking a picture of. And then each subsequent picture. Like if you took 50 pictures, there'd be 50 pictures there. The two bras 
the women's phones, which were in a plastic baggie, and everything was in fantastic condition. The women's phones, this is where it really is disturbing. I mean, what they this is where this case gets so bizarre, and it is frightening. Like, in the case, I get feelings. I really do. And I, I've always been good at, like, with Ellen Greenberg, when I thought of her in the apartment that day, if you don't know who Ellen Greenberg is, I did a case, I did a story about it. My view is not so popular. Everyone wants to believe that somebody came and killed her, but it was in, an impossibility. I can trust me on that. But when I thought of Ellen in her apartment, I can see her there. By herself. I can see it. With Lizanne and Chris, the feeling that I get is darkness and real scared. Like, I get a, this feeling of deep despair. And it, it scares me. And, and, oh, this case, it's so upsetting. It shows on the phone that six hours after the beginning of their hike, six hours... They dialed 112, which is the international emergency number used in the Netherlands, and 911, the emergency number in Panama, which is also the 911 is what we use here. I believe in England and Europe, it's 999. The first distress call attempt was made by Kremer's iPhone at 4.39 p.m., and shortly after that, another attempt was made from Froon's Samsung Galaxy at 4.51 p.m. So that's 12 minutes apart. None of these calls got through to, due to lack of reception. And none of the subsequent call attempts ever managed to go through either. They would call emergency assistance 77 times in the next few days, four days. On April 4th, so this was on April 1st at 4.39. They left about 11 a.m. And 4.39, they're calling already. So something happened. Uh, that's what the mystery is already. What happened? Did they feel that they were getting lost? Did somebody look at them the wrong way? Did one of them twist their foot? Something happened to make them call the emergency number very early on. And that was only six hours. Now they said to take this trail up and back to the summit and back. It was a total time of six hours, like two, three hours up, two, three hours back. Even for a beginner, it would be about six hours. Already, like when they went up there, they they didn't come back down. They chose to go onward, even though people told them, yes, you can go on this this hike, this Il Pianista by yourself. It's not that bad. Like it's not a dangerous trail per se. But if you go outside the area, it's extremely dangerous. They have those monkey bridges, which is terrifying. It's those freaking bridges. It's basically you're walking on a clothesline across a river and you're holding on to these. It, it, you're, it, when you cross a monkey bridge, you're literally, you look like, like a circus person because that's essentially what you're doing. And people that do that are the locals, are people that are familiar with those trails or monkey bridges in general. Now, her parents said they would never have taken the monkey bridge by themselves. Never, never, never. When you feel, when you're in a threat or if you feel your survival is at stake, you're going to do some strange ass things. So they, they start calling the emergency numbers. April 4th, which is three days after Lizanne Froon's phone battery became exhausted and the phone was never used again. Kremer's iPhone would not make any more calls either, but it was turned on to search for reception intermittently. Why weren't they calling emergency more? I will never understand that in a million years. Between the 5th and 11th of April, the iPhone was turned on multiple times but never entered the correct PIN code. Okay, so up until this point, I don't want to get ahead of myself. 
I told you a little bit about what happens with the, the phone. They, the 77 times they try to call. I, I have to go forward a little bit because otherwise it's going to get too confusing. So 10 weeks go by and the woman finds their backpack and the two bras. But this brought in a whole host of issues. It was downstream, but it was in such good condition Police from the Justice Department picked up the backpack from that woman who found it using a helicopter. They assumed it had drifted to the area in the river, but the backpack was dry and undamaged. The bag looked in remarkable condition for having spent 10 weeks in the jungle or the river. Heavy rain had hit the area, so they were expecting a pretty shitty bag, and it was in perfect order. Now, DNA, I guess, had been detected on the backpack contents, but at this point, there was a lot of people involved in this case, and I think it got mishandled pretty early on, and there were so many people involved that the things became contaminated very, very quickly. So I don't know when I want... I guess I'll just bring in the camera evidence now, as good as time as any. There was 133 consecutive photos found. Everything was just hunky-dory. It was in the beginning when they were laughing, smiling, and up until a point, there's one picture before they turn into a very disturbing images. There's one picture. It kind of harks the beginning of the next set of pictures. It really is. You can divide those pictures into two parts. The good times and the bad times, because you get the good times in the trail in the morning. Then you get this really, it is disturbing to me. Some people say it's not. Chris looks just ducky. I don't think she looks happy or ducky at all. I think she looks disturbed. It's from far away, but when you open it up and, you know, so you could see her face better. Her face, I don't know, maybe she's squinting into the sun, but she looks stressed. There's a really a level of anxiety on her face. Her mother even said she does not look right in this picture. And I think, I believe that's around 508, number-wise, picture-wise 508. It's when she's at the bottom of this. Lizanne must have been at the top or somebody was holding the picture, the camera, took her picture of her. Now, I do believe it was Lizanne at this point. She was going in to, I don't know, look at something, but she just, she looks back. You can tell she's looking back and she just doesn't look right. Her face, it just, I don't like her face in that picture. I, she looks stressed. So then there's a next set of pictures that is of literally, they don't even know. There was like, It was these bizarre nighttime photos. It looked like people were just taking a picture of the sky or it was just of nothing like of, of twigs and, and little bags. And, and that has been a subject of mass amounts of was somebody else using that camera? Like, why were these pictures taken? Now the, the worst part of all, it's not just that these bizarre photos of the sky and bags and twigs were taken after all these happy pictures, but what separates these two is picture 509 or image 509, which we will never know what it was because it had literally been erased from the camera, erased. And not only that, but the person that uh, somebody who either works there or makes the camera said it's impossible to delete a picture like that. You can delete a picture. It was picture 509. 508 is when she looks strange to me and to others. And then after that is the good pictures, but 509. Now, it should, if you were going to take pictures and delete a, a picture, it should, the next pictures it would have defaulted to 509 this didn't happen it literally goes from 508 to 510 that is really one of the most disturbing parts of this case and it seems so little and insignificant but it's not where is that picture what happened to it they said somebody had to hook it up to a computer to delete that now whether panamanian investigators did it 
We don't know. What is on that picture that somebody deleted it? It couldn't have been Liz or... They didn't have a computer when they were walking on the hike. It had to be not just manually eliminated, but it, it like mechanically eliminated for that picture to go from 508 to 510. It's like, oh, it's an impossibility. They went over and over it. The Travel Channel did this and they called it Lost in the Wild Hike into Hell. And they said it, if Lizanne and Chris had removed photo 509 manually anytime before the first nighttime photos, that's what they called them, the nighttime photos, it would have never even known that it had been deleted because the next picture would have defaulted to 509. 90 photos were taken on April 8th between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. in complete darkness. Some were taken seconds apart. Others were taken 15 minutes later. They were taken deliberately because they weren't blurred. They were focused. There's one really disturbing picture of the back of Chris's head. It appears that there might be blood by the back of her head. I don't know why this picture was taken. It is bizarre. It's scary. Somebody suggested that they were taken. This sounded really true to me. So that, you know, because people were saying that they take the, were they snapping those pictures to try to scare away animals? But if they were doing that, they wouldn't have been focused. They would have just snapped the pictures. You wouldn't do that in the dark, like to make your way easier with light because you'd be blinded by the flash. The, the one thing that made sense to me, though, was like, because you can see the pictures, you can you can see it visually, these pictures. It's not like the old cameras where you had to wait for them to be developed. They were right there on the screen. Maybe they were trying to see where they were or taking pictures, maybe so they wouldn't pass the same thing again. I really do think they were using that camera almost as a guide at that point because it was night. They were probably terrified. That's what I feel when I think of them and I try to put myself in that position. I I feel fear. They were scared. They were in the middle of the jungle at 1 a.m. They didn't, at this point, they, they didn't know where they were. I mean, the, the backpack had been found like a, a eight to 15 hour walking distance in the middle of the jungle. Like, They obviously had no idea where they were, unless somebody else did. But, oh, that's such a scary image to me. Analysis of call records. Chris showed her trying to reach emergency services very early on. This was followed by the 911 number. The calls never connected. They subsequently turned their phone off and tried calling 14 hours later several times on April 2nd. Both phones were used to make these calls, and on one of these calls, they actually made a connection at 6.58 a.m. Liz's Samsung connected for connected for about one to two seconds for on 112, but the call quickly faded, and the phone was switched off again. They never managed to get another connection, despite trying several times. On April 6th, Lizanne's Samsung stopped working, probably the battery. Chris's phone was turned off, and then it was activated again April 11th and stayed on for one hour. This was last time the, the iPhone was used. When Lizanne's, on day six, so April 7th, Lizanne's Samsung battery, someone, oh, this is bizarre. Someone tried to access Chris's phone, but the pin was incorrectly entered. The pin number was 0556, by the way. Not that that matters now, but it was never entered correctly. I think it was Lizanne that had a double code or was it Chris? But either way, I don't know. Like I know my husband's passcode, but I don't know my sister's or my friend's codes. I mean, and if you're somewhere together and you're not expecting to get lost, do you, I don't know, I probably would say, what's your passcode just in case something, I don't know. They probably weren't thinking that. I I don't know why her passcode was entered incorrectly. Uh, So they find the backpack and then in June, they also find their bones. It's unbelievable. The help of six natives They found bone remains, jean shorts, and two different shoes. 
shortly before June 19, 2014. The jean shorts were found 14 hours of walking distance from the backpack. Oh, my God. The jean shorts 14 hours away from the backpack on top of a rock and at least eight walking hours away from Boguette. Some witnesses claim this was also very much debated whether they were found folded or floating in the river. The bone remains were found on June 19th behind a tree. Lizanne Froon's left foot was found inside her boots, her boot, showing multiple fractures. And DNA confirmed this. The laces were still tightly tied, and it also had a sock inside of the boot, which had some skin and flesh on it. The shoe with the foot was found upstream. Now, after 10 weeks, I was told that this is not unusual. You know, you would find this kind of decay. You know, this is okay. And and there was no, like, signs of teeth or claw markings or cutting or hacking. Like, it was a clean break, which is a little weird, too. Okay, so 33 bones, mainly from a left leg, were also discovered along the same river bank a few miles from the Cable Bridge and Dry River Stones, where some investigators think some of the nighttime's photos have been taken. So they find Chris's pelvic bone, one half of a pelvic bone, which was broken. Her number 10 right rib bone was also found as a, and an upper leg femur. Okay, this, the the forensic pathologist found that the skin was still in early stages of decomposition, even containing maggots. In contrast, this is really important with Chris's fully bleached and clean bones. So Lizanne's bones were in more in conjunction with what you would expect. Like, I mean, the foot was in the boot. There was like still some skin attached, but Chris's were like clean bleached that i mean even if the sun bleached on the fact that the decomposition was so markedly different for the two of them that's weird that is really weird picture 509 and her bleached bone is the weirdest part of this case is the two weirdest things in this case they just don't make sense at all whether you go with the accident theory or the killer theory and it's mind-boggling. The case was first officially declared a homicide by Panama's attorney general. But later in October, two Panamanian state officials described the deaths. Oh, wait. Then uh, later in October 2014, Panamanian state officials described the deaths as a case of abduction. And they failed to come to a conclusion, so the case was closed. They changed everything and decided Lizanne and Chris succumbed to the jungle, and it was just an accident. It was a case of being lost. Chris fell first. Lizanne tended to her, photographed her remains in the dark, and continued until she also fell, breaking her ankle and foot, died from exhaustion, hunger, and the elements. Dutch pathologist Dr. Frank Van de Goot was skeptical and said there's no way to get lost. You actually don't even need a guide. Saying that the girls fell off the monkey bridge and washed away. He said they would never go on it. But if you're in the jungle in the middle of the night, I think there's not a lot of things you wouldn't do to try to get out of it. Trust me, I'd be right on that monkey bridge. And I'm scared. They looked scary as hell to me. I think that travel channel vacation into hell that's they're tripping to hell it's a great phrase that's terrifying it appears at first sight that both women die because of the difficult and dangerous conditions in the panamanium jungle but there was a lot of questions that are just bizarre and and somebody suggested this which at first i was really somebody said maybe they did get hurt at first maybe that's why You know, because a lot of people kept saying, look, this case doesn't make sense. When you put the accident theory or the murder theory, it just doesn't make sense. It's like two separate things happen. But maybe two separate things did happen. Some suggested that possibly they were lost at first. And then they sent the tour guides out. There was a German girl I read that was in a similar part of the woods. 
in Bouguette, these rescuers came and raped her and tried to kill her, but she got a knife and cut one of the rapists in the foot or the leg and ran and got away and was able to tell her tale. So did that happen? Like, did they get lost in the woods and then somebody, like they they put out search teams early on? It was a nefarious search team. They started to do some things they shouldn't, but then realized all the attention that was coming their way, then freaked out and threw their backpacks and their stuff to get rid of it. It still doesn't explain um, Chris's bleached pelvis, though. I mean, did they run into cannibals? I, I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. They go into the woods on April 1st. Early on, they started trying to call 911. They called a total of 77 times. During those days, they were off and on attempting to call. They have pictures from from 0 to 500 all happy and everything. Then there's a mysteriously disappeared picture, like totally taken out of the loop. We'll never know what's on that picture. And then these nighttime photos, which showed bizarre, like Chris's head and quigs and the stars and after that then we don't find them for 10 weeks and then their bags here their bones are here that's a lot of ground i mean i could see if everything was found together but it seems like the bag and the bones were found were found just as far apart and the bleached and the fact that lizanne's bones were like kind of in conjunction with how you would expect decomposition but chris's bones were not at all they were like licked clean and an animal wouldn't bleach something i mean they might bite a bone but they're not gonna bleach it case is freaking weird it's it it's a mind bender i i don't i mean it's a shame because the parents came out and and nobody's ever gonna know what happened to them so some of the questions that they thought of were who erased Lizanne's camera and why? What what happened to picture 509? Now, it says, why won't Panamanian national authorities release the girls' autopsies? But I don't know. I asked homicide. I always go to them. I know. But I do. And they said that's not necessary. They don't have to release anything for any reason. I mean, they said that didn't seem strange at all to them. Why haven't they... Let's see. If anything did happen, I and I think because they can't... I. You know, the thing is, I know the Panamanian government really failed these girls. They really did. But I don't think they always are covering things up because they're trying to cover up something bad. I think they're trying to cover up their lack of finding out what happened. I I really do. I think in this instance, their cover-up is just covering up their ineptitude. I, I don't think they're covering something that that I don't think they know any more than we know. I really don't, except for that picture of 509. And what the heck could it be? I better, I mean, uh, so the water bottle was still full when they found it. The girls had warned other youngsters to not venture out alone without a guide, and they were both meticulous planners. So why did they go out into a hike? Did somebody suggest it to them? And why was Blue never seen in any of the photographs? Why didn't the girls turn back when they placed that first emergency call? Because apparently, five hours, they were still in the realm of where they were. You know, by the summit or coming down. When when they had an issue initially, they were still very much close to home, so to speak. Why didn't they turn around? Why didn't they continually try emergency services with one of the phones. Let's kill the first phone and then we'll save the other phone. And when they knew that things were really bad, this was a big one for me. Why didn't they tape themselves like mom and dad family? We know that this is the end, but there's nothing we can do. I mean, you know, there was no goodbye anything. Yeah, the exact location, I guess, of the 90 nighttime photo had never been thoroughly investigated. Uh, Yeah, how did they get lost on a one-way easy track where the natives walk the mountains daily with their cattle? And why didn't 
the investigators, they when they were still wandering around before they died, I mean, you know, day-wise, when their phones were still like just even the timeline of their phones opening and closing and the them finding out that they were missing and sending out for help and the people looking for them overlap. Why didn't they find them? They were all over that area unless it is true that and I would I would hate to think this, but a group of people that weren't so kindred found them first. I hope that isn't true because that's really a nightmare. There was a lot of local gangs. Yeah, I agree. There were no photos made of the girls and by the girls for eight days and nights after April 1st. That is really weird. Like they may, they were picture takers and then all of a sudden... Okay, something happens, but then you never take another picture. Did Lizanne Samsung ever get a correct PIN code entered considering all the phone ever tried to call her? Yeah, you could reach the emergency numbers without a PIN code. You can, because it always says like the, when you open your phone, open your phone right now, it'll have the, like your phone part, it'll say phone or it'll say emergency number. You can always call an emergency number. Why did they need the PIN? Who was entering that PIN number? So there was a whole thing about at the end of one program that there was apparently a picture of the girls with a guy. And the guy, I think his name, was it Orlando? I can't remember the guy's name, but apparently the Panamanian government said that it wasn't, they determined that it wasn't Chris or Lizanne in this picture. But the mother of the guy that was in the photograph with people that were possibly Lizanne and Chris from earlier that day, he was killed later. And some were suggesting that he had been killed because he was going to say what happened to Lizanne and Chris. And then the mother said, I actually know what happened to him. Uh, the two girls, they were, they met up with a, like, not like a gang, but they, I guess they didn't come off like that. I'm sure they met up with gang members during their hike in the woods. The gang members were being really friendly and cool with them. But then one tried to hit on one of the girls and they were rejected and then they were killed because of it. That's what the mother said. But this is all hearsay. Also, it seems like there was a lot of gang activity in general in that part of Panama. So I think that there seems to be a lot of strange deaths within the gang world in general. This is more, you know, I know there's gangs and stuff like that, but usually because tourists are, you know, there's so much attention around tourists, so much attention. Usually gang members do not want anything to do with attention. So they're going to stay away from the tourists. So that's why I think they felt comfortable going into the, you know, that particular Il Pianista trail. I don't think gangs bother nor regular tourists. Now, if, if something like that did happen, like they were nice and then they were like, oh, hi. And then they started to hang with them. And then, but even that, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It just, I, every time I think of another avenue that it could go, something doesn't make sense about it. It's just like, and it it's even more tragic if it was an accidental theory, I mean, it's horrible. Like they just started one of them twist their ankles so early on. And then the other girl got lost, but they were to get, uh, if they got hurt, why were they so far away? Like if they called so early on, this is six hours after they started going in the woods, they're calling. Why did they continue onward to get even deeper into the jungle? Unless they really made a wrong turn, panicked, made a wrong turn, got really far out, and then just started to get delirious. I don't know. I, I really implore if you, I, I, most true crime people have heard of the story, but if you haven't, look up Lizanne Froon and Chris Kramers because there is a lot of information about it. It's like Maura Murray, and it's hard to pick out. 
what's true and what's not. You know, what's, I, you know, the, the truth is two girls went to, I keep saying, went to Panama to teach children. The thing was delayed for a week. So they were like, okay, let's go to the tour today. Let's go take a wonderful hike. They go into the woods. They call early on. Something happened to call that, you know, early. They keep calling. They both get hurt. They're never seen alive outside of that jungle again. And their families and loved ones, they're left without them. That's the facts. The facts also are that picture 509 and or Chris's pelvis was bleached. It's just weird. Bizarre. It's a very bizarre case, and that's you know one for the one for the books. I'm sorry this was a day or two late. I just I couldn't even get to it. The one day I was supposed to tape it, I I did like a kickboxing class and I passed out <laughs> for a long time. I was so tired. But uh, next, I promise I'm going to get to the Betsy Ordsma. I That case, I have, there's a book I got, and I want to read that book before I do the case. And I just haven't even had a chance. But I'm going to get to I love true crime. I love it. I just love it. And I remembered this case, and I was like, let me try to tackle that. It's a hard one. But I really, now that I know more about it, it is there's just some things that are just bizarre, and I can't imagine what happened to those poor girls. This is Debbie Q with the right shoe. I will talk, I will see you guys very shortly. Take care. Oh, my year anniversary of sobriety was January 30th. I'm past a year. Woohoo! So you take care, guys, and I'll see you next time on the right shoe.